question for you. Do people just irritate you to no end? Just bother you? I mean, think back to the last time, probably this morning, maybe on the way here, maybe in the last 10 minutes, that somebody just bothers you. Somebody's just irritated you. It's something they do. They might not know about it. They may be very aware of it. But man, just when you put people next to other people, they irritate you and they bother you. And, and I know I've said this before, and I'm positive you've said this before, unless you're going to lie about it. But we've all thought life would be so much better if everyone was just like me. That's right. It would just solve problems, and, and I wouldn't have to worry about anything. Man, it, life would be so much better. I wouldn't be bothered by all these people, and I wouldn't be irritated by all these little pet peeves if everybody was just like me. So I'm doing an experiment this, this morning. You all walked in and you got a Starburst? Yes, you got a Starburst? Here's what, here's what this does. Some of you are like, oh, that's just so nice, candy. No, 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 no. I have an agenda on this one. So I know it would be nice if everybody was just like me or you might say just like you, but the reality is obviously that we are very, very different personalities and backgrounds and experiences and preferences and opinions and political views, all these things make us up to be very, very different individuals. And I'm about to prove it to you. So if you picked, and this was by your own free will, unless you didn't care, you were too cool for school to grab one. If you picked a yellow Starburst, would you hold up your yellow Starburst? Or maybe you ate it, just raise your hand. If you picked the yellow one, if you picked the yellow one, all right, so here's all my yellow Starburst because the Starburst that you pick tells a lot about who you are. All right, here you go. For all of my yellow Starburst people, you are a social outcast. You are often misunderstood, and very few people get you. And I see a lot of nods, mostly from the people sitting next to the yellow Starburst people. All right, here we go. Red, red Starburst people. If you are red, hold up your red, or hold up your hand if you, again, ate it already. Here you go, red Starburst. You are cool and funny but you have a hard time making decisions. And in fact, you are also really bad at responding in a timely manner and you are terrible at being on time. Give it up for the red people. Yes, yes, that probably defines you. All right, pink, who grabbed the pink starburst? Raise your hand, hold it up, here's pink. Actually, man, quite a few pinks, all right. Here's what you are. You are affectionate and sweet, but, there's a big, a big but here, but even you don't always know what you're thinking. That's you. That's you. All right, last one, oranges. If you're orange, only a few orange. All right, here you go. Orange, you are smart and fun to be around, but quite honestly, everybody thinks you're a show-off. <laughs> How accurate is Starburst? Yes, yes, almost freakily accurate, isn't it? But we're all different, aren't we? We have different personalities, like we said, and so you put all of us Starburst in a room, my goodness, it's, it's amazing we can make it through one hour getting along, isn't it? <laughs> it's amazing what happens in our relationships when you put more than one person in that relationship. It's different. People are different and we have our differences. But here's what we're going to look at this morning is that real relationships make room for differences. Real relationships, not the superficial ones, not the acquaintance one. Now, we're not just talking spouses and parenting with kids. Like We're talking those relationships that you invest in, those relationships that you want to be invested in return. Those relationships, if you want them to succeed, if you want them to be healthy, if you want them to grow and thrive, real relationships make room for differences, even when we don't get along, even when we disagree. But understand, it's not just about agreeing 
because it's just personality sometimes. It's if you're married to a red starburst, it's going to create problems, just without a doubt. There are differences in our relationships and real relationships. Say, you know what? We're going to figure this out. We will make room for differences. Now, obviously, that's a a pretty generic and broad topic, and Jesus spends a good amount of time, especially early on in his ministry, where he kind of dives into, here's how we are to treat one another. Here's how we deal with those differences. Here's how we walk those differences out. And he's going to speak pretty broadly about it to give the overview. And then the rest of the New Testament, what we read after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts as the beginning of the church, what you get in Romans and 1 and 2 Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all those other eons, all of those are the New Testament apostles teaching us how to apply them. So if we start with Jesus' words, if you have our Bible, head over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is what we call now the Sermon on the Mount. It was Jesus' earliest, but I would even say most popular sermon, and it leans into two key aspects of our relationships. The horizontal relationships, so that's us and other people. It's me and you. It's you and your family, you and your coworkers. It's all of us humans. But then he also spends time to look at the vertical relationship. That's obviously us and him, us and Jesus. And what we're going to see is those are not separate. What we're going to see Jesus point to is what happens horizontally and what happens vertically, they actually interact with each other. They are in some ways connected, and that's where Jesus begins to help us understand how we are to treat, act, love towards one another. So Matthew chapter 5, here's what we get in verse 21. He says, you have heard it said, this is Jesus talking, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, we would agree with that. We would say, you know what, it's not nice to kill somebody else. (laughs) If you want a real relationship to succeed, don't kill the other person. Most, there might be a few of you that disagree with me, but let's just assume that we're all on the same page there. That was the line that had been drawn in the, and truly in the sand, go back 10 commandments, it's one of them. And Jesus says, you've heard it said, well, you should not murder, you should not kill one another. If you want to have good relationships with God and other people, don't kill other people. Makes sense. But Jesus moves the line. Look at what he says next. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So he moves it. He says, you know what, it's not just about killing the other person. You can't say, I have a good marriage because we haven't killed each other yet. That's not the point. He moves the line. He says, no, 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 no. It's not just about not killing them. I don't want you to even be angry with them. Or if you are angry, be careful because you're kind of on the line there. But he doesn't end it there. He says, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, rakah. Everybody say, rakah. I know it just sounds like an insult, doesn't it? Yes, and all it means is empty-headed you can come up with another word that you might like to translate into that, but contextually, empty-headed, says anyone who says to a brother or sister, rakah, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. That was like the Jewish um, uh, council there. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So he keeps moving the line back. It starts out, you've heard it said, don't kill each other. Well, now I'm saying, well, be careful because if you get angry. Now, if you just begin to insult one another, do you see how he's moving the line in relationships with how we interact? He's going to move it one more time, and he gives a little bit of an example or a parable, a hypothetical situation. Verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to that person, then come. 
and offer your gift. This is mind-blowing, and it changes everybody's world when Jesus tells this. When he brings this up, because all of a sudden, the line has been pushed all the way from don't murder to be careful if you're angry to, you know what, if you even insult, to now it's if anybody has anything against you. We've come a long way from just don't murder, haven't we? (laughs) If anyone has anything against you, now he's giving us some instructions. Man, he boils it way down. In your relationships, do you have anybody that has anything against you? Well, it's not justified, and well, they deserve this. Nowhere in there does Jesus elaborate and say, well, only if it was for good reason. No, he comes all the way down to the point of if anyone has anything against you, here's what I want you to do. And this is where we see the horizontal and the vertical cross. It says if you're coming before God and you're bringing your gift and your offering and you're coming before God because you're trying to build that relationship with God, you're building that vertical relationship. It says, and in that moment you recognize that there's something wrong with a horizontal relationship. He says, stop what you're doing. This is interesting because we tend to think, well, as long as me and God are good, then I'm good, right? As long as I and God, if we're meshing, if we're jiving, if I'm doing everything I can to be like him, then we're good. And we separate our horizontal relationships with our vertical. And here Jesus says, don't separate them. He says, in fact, if you're trying to grow in your relationship with God and you recognize that there are some horizontal relationships that aren't going so well, he says, you know what? Put a pause on me for a second. Let that sink in. Jesus is saying, hit pause on your relationship with God for a second and go and be, do you remember that R word? Go and be what to the other person? Go and be reconciled. Now let me hit on that for a second because it doesn't say restore. Restore would give us the impression that everything goes back to the way it was and everybody's friends and it's all sunny and rainbows now. (laughs) Reconcile is very different. Reconcile just says, Hey, I've done my part. So that doesn't mean you go to the other person and everything is back to the way it was. No, that would not be plausible in every situation, nor would it be a good thing in every situation. Now, Jesus says, go and be reconciled. Go and do your part. Go and have a clear conscience. Go and do everything you possibly can. Then, once that is done, then you can step back and work on this relationship. See, it changes our dynamic on how we view this whole commandment to love God and love others. We like to separate them. Well, I love God. Well, that's the most important one, right? This whole love your neighbor as yourself thing, that's a secondary thing. Jesus doesn't know who's my neighbor, so there's no way he would ask me if he knew that. So I'm just going to work on this love God thing, and I'm just going to think that's good enough. And obviously that's good, but he says, look, if you're focusing on this up and down relationship, and you've got some side to side that needs some work, Hit pause on your relationship with God so you can go and be reconciled. So you can go and lean in to those other relationships. Another way to say it is we cannot fully love God if we do not fully love others. Fully being the key words there. Can you love God and then love others? Well, of course. Can you fully love God if you have someone that has something against you? According to Jesus, he would say, not really, You're missing a piece. In other words, your relationship with God, you could say, is incomplete. Just focusing on the vertical relationship between you and God is not a complete version of a healthy, throwing, real relationship with God. It's part of it. It's a big part of it. 
but we can't miss these other relationships. Now, does that mean that you're, in good, you're not in good, good standing with God if you've got some people in your life that you're not getting along with? Of course not. This isn't a everybody get along. This is a have you done everything to be reconciled? You know what? I've done my part. We just are going to agree to disagree. We're going to go our separate ways. There's nothing wrong with that. But he moves the line from don't murder to don't be angry to don't insult to, you know what? If anybody has anything against you, start there. And then when you fix that, when you work on that, when, and that's an ongoing work, isn't it? <laughs> then we can step back in, say, okay, God, now I'm ready. I'm ready for this. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to love when we are so different. Go back to your Starburst. I mean, if, if you and your spouse, if you're in here with your spouse and you guys have different colored Starbursts, you can start to think, oh, that's why we don't get along. Oh, it now makes sense. Right? If you have kids and your kids, you start to do this at home and have them pick out a Starburst and then like, oh, it explains so much. Now I understand why you are the way that you are. If you've taken any of those personality tests, right? There's a bunch of them. There's the, the strength finders and there's the leading through your strengths and there's the Myers-Briggs and the DISC and all these other ones. But the most recent, you know, the, the most recent almost fashionable one is the Enneagram took Facebook by storm. So if you've taken it, you, you're gonna understand this. If not, this is worth your time. It's, it's a short, about 10 minute or so test. It's free. I'm a type three. And some of you are like, I get it. Yeah, I totally get it. The, the three is labeled the achiever. And that's me to a T. It's like, man, I wanna do the right thing and I want everybody to like me on the way to it. And, and I like gathering people together. It's almost just needs to say like preacher, pastor instead of achiever because it's the same thing almost. So that's me. Now my wife is a nine. You know what the nine is? The peacemaker. Oh yeah, yeah. And if you were to read what the achiever is like and what the peacemaker is like, you would think, you know what? They would actually get along sometimes. Because the two personality types are me saying, hey, let's do this. This is a great idea. Let's go, go, go. And the peacemaker says, have we thought this through yet? You can see the discussions we have in our house, don't you? Yeah, the, the achiever says, oh, we'll figure it out. This is going to be fun. And the peacemaker says, well, what does everybody else think? Hmm. Can we process that for a little bit? No, 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 no. This is time sensitive. Let's get out. Let's go and do and be. And can we pray about it as a family first? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you see the tension that we deal with in our home every single day. It's difficult to love those differences. And we're not talking right or wrong in this case. It's just different. So you've got to start thinking a little bit differently. If you're truly going to love fully, love God fully by loving others fully, you have to make room for their differences. So let me give you some ways that we want to help you with that. Right? Not just this week, but ongoing, because this is a key part in loving one another the way that Jesus first loved us. Because did you know we're pretty difficult to love? In fact, Romans 5 says it this way, while we were still sinners, this is how Christ loved us. This is how God demonstrated his love for us. While we were still sinners, in other words, a problem, Christ Jesus died for us. So he's modeled this whole love because you're different and love the differences and love despite your differences. He's perfected that. It's us that has to catch up a little bit. So let me give you some resources. Let me just give you a couple ways and maybe even some, some take-home things that will help with you. First of all, uh, this card that's sitting right down in the seat back, literally take it out and look at it for a second because there's two things I want to point out on here that speak directly to this whole 
difficult to love because of differences thing. On the back side where it says what's next, I want to highlight two of them. The first one in the next step, kind of that center box, it says, I'm interested in building a healthier marriage. That does not mean help, 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 my marriage is, is almost over. It may be, but there's a wide range. You can be like, man, we're actually doing pretty good until we took the Enneagram test and I realized how much trouble we are actually in. Whatever the case is, if you just want tips and growing in a healthier relationship, here's what I want you to do. I want you to mark that box because here's what I'm going to do this week. We're going to send all of you an email that has a bunch of resources for you, a website where you can log into that has great resources for you. It's going to give you some other tips. It's going to give you some great hands-on things for you and your spouse to get, begin to work on you personally and also together, and that's going to be something that you can go to regularly. It's not a one-and-done thing. It's not a one-week-only thing. You sign Sign up for some of these and you're going to start getting some great resources for you as for you and your spouse as a couple. So that's one way. You, you got to just say, you know what? We don't know everything. We'll send you email links to, to some of our, our counselors for marriage counseling, premarital, post-marriage counseling. There's great resources that are there for you. Sometimes we just don't know about them. We need some help figuring out how to love people that are different than us. So that's one thing on there. Another one on there, on the next line down, says get involved. It says, I want to serve at MLC. Now, let me tell you why that's important. Serving does something internally. Forget about like what has to get done around church and all the jobs that need to happen so that Sunday mornings actually do happen. Something happens when we serve inside of us. It's that whole, I'm loving God, but I'm learning to love other people. When you serve, you're basically elevating the other person or the other group saying, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to serve you. You take a back seat so someone else or a group of people can take the front seat. That is perfect practice for loving one another. You want to be a better husband or wife? Start serving strangers and it'll eventually catch on. It's harder to love those around you, isn't it? Those that you're closest to. So start with some strangers, start with some acquaintances, start with your church. If you really want to grow, serve in kids ministry. I mean, you want an opportunity to, to grow in your love for different people, subhuman people, then you volunteer with middle school. And, and you just jump in with middle school and you just figure that the grace of God is gonna be enough in your life. If you want to learn, if you wanna learn how to love crazy people, then you join the parking lot team. And you, you just trust that the, the protection of God's angels will be enough for you in the parking lot. See, when we give you opportunities to serve, it really isn't a, hey, excuse me, I have some things that have to happen on a Sunday. Would you please help me out so we can have church? No, not at all. It's, I want you to grow in your relationship with God and others. Here's a great training ground. Here's great practice. Here's how to build good habits and loving one another. So all I want you to do, if you're at least halfway interested, don't worry about the, well, I don't know where, and I don't know when, and I don't know what to do. If you're just like, you know what, that would be good practice for me. Mark it on your card, and we're going to walk through you for about the next week and a week and a half, helping you discover personally what that looks like for you. All you got to do is check that. You're not signing up for anything. You're not committing to anything. You're like, I think I need some practice loving other people. Church is a good place to start. We're very full of grace around here. <laughs> it's a great place to start. Even our kids, uh, when you pick up your kids, if you have them in MLC Kids, they're going to get one of these. Probably can't see it, but check us out on Instagram stories. You'll see it in there. Um, but it's the entire month of March with serving opportunities that your kids can do. So tomorrow is March 4th, so here's the serve opportunity. Return a neighbor's garbage can from the street. That's great. 
Uh, If you look on the 12th, bring a treat to a friend or a neighbor. I love the 13th, smile at five strangers. Like this is stuff that your kids can do. And what's it doing? It's developing habits. It's giving practice or it's training to love God fully, to love others fully. It's even what we've been talking about in this entire series. Let me put up our one another's. If you've been here throughout this entire series, we hit it every single week. If not, make sure you pick one of these up. You can pick them up at the guest services corner out where the big hello is on the wall. Grab one of these and start putting names in here. If we are from Jesus' command, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. That's how you love one another. So then you go through the other one another's we find in the New Testament. Again, the New Testament writers, Peter and James and John and Paul, they're trying to help you understand, here's how we do that. Let's, let's put some meat on it. Let's put some legs to it. So you go through each of these. Say, well, who do I need to be at peace with? Who do I need to be devoted to? Who do I need to honor, live in harmony with? Stop passing judgment on, encourage, serve, bear with, be patient with. Be kind and compassionate too. Whose names start coming to mind? Submit to, forgive who? That matches up with Matthew 5, doesn't it? Who's someone that has something against you? Go and be reconciled. Spur one another on. We talked about that one last week. Don't grumble against. Pray for, offer hospitality to. Each and every one of these helps us live out how to love people that are simply different. Good, different, bad, different, indifferent differences. How do we love God fully? It begins with loving one another fully. The two that I really want us to focus on, at least for this morning, based on what Jesus said in Matthew 5, is when it is difficult, when it is hard, when when that other person has something against me, justified or not, when I have something against someone else, how do we love them fully? Where do we begin? If the horizontal relationships and the vertical relationships are connected What do we do next? How do we live out Jesus moving this line from murder to if anyone has anything against you? How do we live that out? The two that we really see, and we actually see them tied together, is the bear with one another and forgive one another. Colossians goes in a little bit deeper. Again, that's the point of all of these letters that we get after the Gospels. Here, Paul is writing to the early church, speaking specifically to those two. Here's what he begins to say. He says, put on your new nature. Oh, now that we follow Jesus and we love him, we're new, so we're going to act a little bit differently. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. There's the goal. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. In other words, it doesn't matter our differences. We are all children of God. And he says, Christ is all that matters. And all he, and he lives in all of us. So he levels the playing field, doesn't he? He says, man, it doesn't matter. Yes, we have differences. Be aware of them, know them, lean into them, make room for them. But at the end of the day, we are all God's children. So let's treat them as such. Now that's easy when everybody gets along. It is so easy to love people that love you. But remember, we were difficult to love. And even if you keep reading through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you'll see Jesus lean a little bit harder into it of, you know what? It's not just about loving the people that love you. Try loving your neighbor. Try praying for those who, per- who persecute you. Those are Jesus' words. So we've got to lean into that difference a little bit more. So here's what Paul says next. So after he levels the playing field, verse 12. Therefore, because we are followers of Jesus, because everyone are children, everyone is a child of God, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, 
Clothe yourselves, and if you want to take notes, I would write these down. Here's a list. He gives us a great list for healthy relationships. Clothe yourselves with these things. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I know, don't you wish you could like sharpie out things in the Bible sometimes? Like, you know what? I don't really want to have the patience piece. Let's just get rid of it. No, but it's in there. Verse 13, bear with each other. There we see that one. Bear with each other and forgive one another. They're tied. We're gonna talk about it. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now that list is a really interesting list. Let me go through them because I want you to see how they're connected. You might not catch this. The first part of that list speaks to the compassion and the kindness. Clothe yourselves. In other words, you've got to put these on. It doesn't happen naturally. You don't just wake up one day and you're fully dressed ready for church. No, it takes a long time for some of you, not me, of course, but for some of you, it takes a long time to get ready. If you get your kids ready in the morning, it takes a long time to get those kids dressed and ready. Paul's alluding to the same thing here. Say, it's gonna take some time. It's gonna take some work and effort to get these things on, but it's important. So what were the first two? Did you write them down? You have what? Compassion and kindness. Understand how this works. What we see here is this interesting dynamic for the inside and the outside, where it begins in the heart and it moves to hands. So compassion, compassion is in your heart. Compassion literally is in the bowels of your gut, meaning that feeling that you get when something's not right. When you see someone hurting, that feeling you get in the pit of your stomach, that would be called compassion. Now, compassion alone doesn't do anything on the outside. It's just this internal feeling, this internal uneasiness, right? That gut feeling. Kindness, on the other hand, moves it outward. So if you can put on compassion, it starts in your heart. It starts in your gut. It's a heart condition. Well, then kindness is what comes out of that. Because of your compassion, now you help someone else. That would be called kindness. Because of your compassion, you whatever it needs to be, you fill in the blank. So you see this move from it starts in the heart and it moves to action, behaviors, hands, or habits. Compassion moves to kindness. What was the next one? Do you remember? Me neither. That's why we're going to look it up. Humility and gentleness. Humility, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Humility starts in the heart right? Humility says, I'm going to value someone more than myself. I'm going to look to their interests more than myself. We talked about the teeter-totter. The way humility works is I lower myself so someone else can be elevated. That begins in the heart and the mind. Humility in and of itself doesn't do anything for another person. It's what comes after that. Once you have a humble heart and you treat others with humility, it comes out in the form of gentleness because you're treating them as a child of God how you talk with them, how you interact with them, how you disagree with them, how you view them. All of those things can fall underneath gentleness if you begin with a humble heart. So you say, I'm gonna put on humility. I'm gonna be humble, I'm gonna treat others in that way. And out of that comes gentleness. Now the last part of this is interesting because it speaks to a very specific context. It says, obviously, this last part of patience and then bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. So these last parts are specific when there is a problem. You don't need to bear with one another or forgive one another if you're getting along. Can we agree on that? <laughs> bear with one another and forgive one another is only when there is an issue, when there is a problem, when there are some differences that cannot and have not been reconciled. So where does it begin with the heart? It's difficult to just 
I'm going to choose to bear with you and forgive you. There, there's got to be a heart condition first, and that's why Paul says patience. Patience. Patience literally, you ready for this? Literally means long-suffering. How encouraging is that? Patience, the original word literally means long-suffering. So if you can have in your heart long-suffering for the people around you, you will then be equipped to better bear with one another and even forgive one another. But it begins with patience. Understand the difference between bear with one another and forgive one another. Paul makes this very, very clear. They're very different. When we say bear with one another, we're speaking more for, you know what, it's not necessarily a, a sin. It's just bothersome. It irritates me. Right? It's that make allowance for. You see two parts. It's make allowance for their faults. That would be the bear with one another. But then show forgiveness for the offense. Forgiveness is when they hurt you, when they harm you. Right? That's, that's when they have done something wrong to you. You've done nothing. They have hurt you, harmed you in some way. They have offended you, sinned against you. But the make allowance for, well, that's just, okay, they're a red starburst and I'm a pink starburst. We know we're going to have fights. It's not right or wrong. It's we're different. And those irritations, those pet peeves, man, if those are not talked through, if those are not brought to the surface, and it bubbles up and it does become a major offense, doesn't it? So I figured we would do some of that counseling here this morning. I just figured, let's just get it all out. Let's set the record straight. Some things that irritate me, that probably irritate you. We need to talk through these. So let's have a real conversation. <laughs> all right. There are some of you in this room that believe it is okay to put this role on the role this way. Shame on you. Thank you. I'll tell you, if I come over to your house and I use your guest restroom and it's on like this, you can guarantee that when I leave that bathroom, it's gonna look like this. <laughs> I'm just letting you know. Now, there are some of you, and I don't want to know who you are because it will taint how I view you from here on out, but there are some of you that think this is okay or the worst of you are the ones that are like, I didn't know there was a difference. Oh, come on. You're even worse in my book. But for those of you that actually think this is okay, I have to cite a stat for you. Are you ready for this? And if you want to write this down, this is noteworthy. In 1891, the patent for the toilet paper roll came out. And in that patent, it specifically articulated that this is the correct way <laughs> to put toilet paper on the roll in your home or in any commercialized building. So if we say it's not a matter of right and wrong, no, 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 I am right. The 1891 patent for toilet paper proves it. But it's funny how something like that just eats away at a relationship, doesn't it? Because we all have those pet peeves. It's the, well, they chew loud, or they do this, or, or they drive like that, or they, whatever it is, we have to make allowances for those faults, for those differences. And I would tell you, don't allow those irritations to ruin your relationship. Because we really want to. Well, I want to be right and I want you to change. Remember, real relationships make room for differences. Now, this is probably the exception because this really is a right or wrong example here. <laughs> Other than that, make room for differences. Don't allow your relationship to be ruined because you're different. Because you have different irritations and pet peeves. Now, let's hit forgiveness. Because now we're not talking 
differences and opinions and preferences and personality types. We're talking, you know, someone has done something against you or you have done something against someone else. There is a problem. There is something that needs to be reconciled, to use Jesus' words. Here's what I would tell you. Don't ruin your own life because of unforgiveness. See, unforgiveness is more for you than it is for the other person. Yes, and it can build a relationship, no doubt, reconcile. But understand, when you're holding on to grudges, that grudge is going to begin to hold and own your life. And you won't be able to move past it. You won't be able to move through it. So Paul is very clear. When anybody has a grievance, when there's a problem, and that's what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5, well, it's not just good enough for you not to kill the other person because of the way they put toilet paper out. It's not good enough to just not kill them. He says, no, no, you gotta be careful of being angry. You know what, don't insult. In fact, if anyone has anything against you, start there. Because our vertical and our horizontal relationships are connected. And so then Paul leans in and says, so here's some things to try. Right? You have to lean into the compassion so that you can be kind. You have to lean into the humility so that you can be gentle. And you have to lean into long-suffering, patience, so that you can bear with and also forgive. Don't miss this last part that Paul intentionally puts in here. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. He could have stopped there, but he didn't. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, how did the Lord forgive me? Oh, man, he, he forgave me a bunch of offenses. Plenty of runaway stories. He still forgave me. I'm difficult to love, and I'm very difficult to forgive. But I'm told by Jesus as well as Paul, well, forgive with Jesus' forgiveness as the standard. That's where you begin. I asked this question of you last week, and I'm going to ask it again. Is my love greater than their fill-in-the-blank? Is my love greater than their personality? Is my love greater than our differences? Is my love greater than their offense? Is my love greater than our difficulties? Is my love greater than our situation? Fill it in. Is my love greater, or is it not? Because remember, our love of God is connected to our love of other people. And we cannot fully love God unless we are fully loving other people. If we have an incomplete love of God, it's because we have not, we have not leaned into the people around us. We love the way that Jesus loved us. We forgive the way that Jesus has forgiven us. So let me make a, a guess on something. I, I believe in, and if, if you've been a Christian for more than a month... <laughs> then I think we would all fall into this category. If that's not you yet, then I would encourage you to start that journey soon because we can't love others until we learn to love God. They're connected. If you're trying to be a great husband or a great wife, well, it starts with your relationship with God. But if you call yourself a follower, you call yourself a believer, a Christian, do you really recognize what Jesus has forgiven you of? Because if we tend to forget about that one, we're gonna forget the standard of which we are called to forgive other people. In fact, here's what we read in Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2. Follow God's example. Oh, that's, that's, a, <laughs> that's a big command right there. His example in all things. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us. Well, how did he love us? He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
love others the way that Jesus loves you. Forgive others the way that Jesus has forgiven you. Work on this relationship. Don't neglect these relationships. In fact, if these aren't good, pause this one. Go back to these. Then you can fully have this. And I believe that we need to constantly be reminded, not so that it brings guilt, but so it brings hope and recognition. Constantly be reminded of what Jesus has forgiven us of. Because if we don't feel like we've been forgiven of much, well, then we don't have much to forgive other people of. But if we truly evaluate our lives, our entire life, and say, wow, Jesus, you have forgiven me for a lot of stuff. Now that translates into our other relationships. A great exercise, a difficult exercise. This week, start writing down all the offenses you have made against God and against others. You're going to have a long list, and it's not going to be full. Fully, you're not going to be able to go through everything. The point is to remind yourself of all the things that Jesus has forgiven you of so that you can do the same for other people. So this morning, we're going to do that. We're going to remind ourselves not of the differences of one another, but we're going to remind ourselves of the difficulty that Jesus was willing to bear with and forgive in us. And we do that through communion. When you came in, you got a starburst on your way in, but on your seat, you got a communion cup. The top part is a cracker that represents Jesus' body that was broken. The juice represents Jesus' blood that was poured out for us just like we read in Ephesians. In a moment, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to encourage you to take communion to remember the sacrifice, the love and the forgiveness that Jesus gave each and every one of us. May we love God for that, but may we also show that to everyone we ever come in contact with. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your example, for your sacrifice, for you bearing with us, for you being patient with us, for you loving us and ultimately forgiving us. God, may our relationship with you be stronger because of our awareness of the way that you have loved and forgiven us. But God, may it not end there. May our relationship with you just be getting started there because God, you have called us to love other people the people we're close with, the people we're far from, even those that we would call our enemies. According to your words, Jesus, it seems like no one is off the table for us to love. And it's easy to say, and it's unbelievably difficult to live out, but I won't dare say how difficult it is because I know what you went through for me. And I cannot fathom how difficult that was to willingly go to the cross so that you could love me and forgive me. So Jesus, may we love others like you have loved us. May we forgive others the way you have forgiven us. May we bear with one another the way that you have bared and been patient with us. In Jesus' name, amen.